Hey, welcome to the CMO Whisper Show. I'm your host, Steve Olensky, part marketing practitioner, part ad agency veteran, part journalist. I was a writer for Forbes for 10 years. I've had so many insightful conversations over the years with business leaders, to athletes, to celebrities, to, of course, CMOs. The only difference now is instead of sharing those insights through written form, I'm doing it this way. My guest this week is Dustin Godsey, the chief sales and marketing officer for the Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA. What an incredibly interesting conversation I had with Dustin about so many different things. One of the things that I was very interested in was how does a CMO of a sports team market a team when they're not doing so well in the standings? Really interesting conversation. Here's my talk with Dustin Godsey. Dustin, excuse my <laughs> slip-ups. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. I, I really look forward to this. I know we have the Philly connection. As I mentioned to you, I was, I was even though people are only hearing this, but I was going to wear my Sixers hat, but I said, nah, you know, I'll just I'll go with the plain black one. But I know part of your heart is always in Philly, is always in Philly right? Absolutely. Still a ton of friends there. Still, still plays a huge role in in my emotional connection to to things. And you know, say go birds and, and from that. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. So this is your first year with sales, right, under your watch, if you will. As you know, the previous seven, you were CMO only. Air quotes. I think I want to start there in terms of what. What has that meant for you adding sales to your arsenal, if you will, in terms of your day-to-day role? You know, is it added more response? I know it's added more responsibility, obviously, but what's it mean overall in terms of how you look at your your the CMO role now that you have sales? Yeah. No, I think, you know, for us as, as we looked at sort of this transition where we where we want to look moving forward is marketing is always so integrated into into what sales is, right? And we're we're so in line on on helping to determine what that strategy is, how we we build out what our plans are for the next you know, three to five years as we have some some runway with kind of our current roster and, and that sort of thing. So I think for us it was how do we look at this and, and really, you know, not only have that marketing playing a role in in that strategy and, and the direction we want to go, but how do we actually work together and, and get the sales team and the marketing leaders together in determining how we're actually going to accomplish this. You know, it, there can be that silo sometimes where it's like, here's the marketing strategy, here's here's how we're going to get out, get this out to the consumer. And then the sales side maybe being a little bit, you know, have their goals in, in place and, and what they're trying to do and, and how they're going to get there. But you can get some disalignment in there sometimes. So I think for us, that was a big piece of that is, is how do we, we're all kind of rowing in the same direction. And then I think, you know, the other big piece of it and, and where, you know, sort of my role from the marketing side comes in is, is how do we really start to look at, at technology? How do we start to look at, you know, what we're doing from kind of direct to consumer, from, from automation and make the sales process more efficient? How can we, you know, make sure that our sales reps are, are getting in front of the right people? And it's, you know, how are we filtering out the noise? How are we using all this on, on sort of the technology side to, to make this a, a much more efficient line process. Was there a chief sales officer before? Uh, there was a, we had a, a senior vice president of, of ticket sales who, you know, kind of sat in, in that role, uh, who was uh-huh. you know, sort of my counterpart and, and on the executive team. She took another opportunity this summer. So it was an opportunity for us to, to really look at, you know, moving forward, what's the, the best way to, to kind of re-envision the way we, 
we run the business to to look at at efficiencies internally and you know really turn our sales operation into something that is again more more data driven more technology driven and and allows us to to have that consistent message out in the market hmm. yeah it's interesting to see if now i know this is a sports brand so it's different animal than a cpg brand for example if more brands will adopt this kind of let's bring everything under one roof if you will sales and marketing together yeah i mean i I think you start to see that in a lot of places whether it's sales and marketing or you know use of in-house resources and kind of creation of in-house agencies on the you know purely on the the marketing side and and that sort of thing so you know i think there are you know going to continue to be as as technology kind of democratizes some of this and and you're able to to do a lot more in-house i think you'll start to see you know a lot of companies look at, at where their efficiencies and not look at the old structure of how things have always been and, and just look to see where you can you can combine th- some things and, and get some different different levels of thought in it. Right, exactly. Uh, a few years ago, I moderated a panel with some sports executives. And the, the first question I asked was, is it easier? And it's kind of a silly, I don't know if it's silly, but you tell me, is it easier to market a team quite when they're winning (laughs) versus losing? Like, is it, is it that different? Is it that easier, that harder? Is it, there's no, no difference. I I mean, I would say it's a, it's actually a really smart question. I think it's one of the things that, that we talk about a lot is as we've had kind of the evolution of, you know, in 12 years, 12 seasons here now starting, you know, I've seen, seen a lot of it. I've seen certainly seen both ends of the spectrum as, as you go through. And it is a, I would say it's a different job, right? And I think people will say, oh, it's it's easy when you have a guy like Giannis. It's easy when you make a trade for a, a guy like Damian Lillard to come in at the beginning of the year. You know, your job must be so easy now. And in some respects, it is, right? If you're if you're focused purely on right now and, and you know, what's right in front of you. But I think our role and, and my role is, is CMO and, and kind of leading this is, you know, one, how do you set yourself up and, and be prepared for those things that happen? Because in, in live sports, good things can happen that are unexpected and bad things can, can happen that are unexpected. So you have to make sure that you're, you're set and you're ready to go and you have a consistent kind of playbook for what you're going to do. And then I think along with that, it's, it's our role is in a cyclical industry like sports where you can be up for a few years, you can be down for a few years, and you know, no matter how high you get, at some point, it's, it's going to come back down. You know, our role is really to, you know, again, make sure that, that we're prepared for and taking advantage of every opportunity that comes our way. You know, when we're winning a championship or we're, we're making a trade for a, a player like Damian Lillard, but also making sure that we're taking advantage of these, these times right now to, to build that fan base, to build those habits and go through so that, you know, that next downturn on the court doesn't mean a, you know, kind of the bottom falling out from a, a business standpoint. So we, we always sort of have to look at both of those sorts of things is, is what's right in front of us and how do we sort of, you know, make sure that we're, we're safeguarding ourselves a little bit in the future. Yeah. It's, it's, it is fascinating to me. One, cause I'm such a sports fan, but two, the marketer in me, like the team is the product, right? And as a CMO, in any company, you don't have any control or very little control over the actual product, whether it's something on a shelf in a supermarket or a professional sports team. Like you're not picking the players, right? You're not making the product, but you still are expected to market that product, right? And when it comes to a sports team, like you said, there's so 
up and down, right? Ups and downs, right? Over the course of X number of years where it's really hard, unless you're like the Patriots in the NFL, <laughs> where you could just maintain that level that you have to kind of the ebbs and flows, right? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. And it's, you know, it's the thing that makes the job fun on most days. And it's the thing that, you know, really creates the, the stress and the challenges behind it is because to your point, you know, Encore product is, you know, and, and the team is, is the product and it is a, you know, very capital intense product uh, that goes out there. So, you know, there's a, you know, a hyper focus, especially in, in times when, when you are winning and, and you have, you know, owners who have committed to, to putting, you know, a championship caliber team on the court year after year of, of maximizing every opportunity, you know, whether it's existing product on, on ticket sales or, or looking for new revenue streams and, and developing that way. So, you know, certainly as a, a CMO on a sports team, you are definitely involved in, in a lot more of those sorts of things and, and kind of in the weeds a little bit more, I think, than, than maybe on a CPG because you do have, you know, you have kind of that expiring product that every night, you know, yeah. the ticket that's not sold, you're, you're not getting that back. You know, we have 17,341 seats every night. And, and if they're not sold, we don't get to, we don't get to raise capacity for the next one. Right. Talk a little bit about, you know, this, the sports world, as you know, there's so much emotion tied to sports teams, right? Not only here, but around the world. And I'm curious if, you know, the, the Bucks lose a big series, right? Do you, does your market vary based on, well, you know what? Our fans are really disappointed, right? They're down. Let's not hit them with a lot of marketing messages right now. Like, do you go into that granularity? We certainly do to, to some extent, right? I mean, I think there's always, again, we're, we're on kind of a condensed timeline all the time of, you know, what the next game is and, and go through. And I think, you know, from our standpoint, we have to be a little bit, you know, even you walk into the office the morning after a, a big loss and, and you feel it and it's a, it's a different emotional level in, in the building. So we all, you know, we all root for the team and, and have that fan part of it too. So we have to, we have to separate a little bit from some of the emotion and go through, but you also can't completely do that from, you know, from a marketing standpoint and, and what the fans are, because that, that emotion is what keeps them coming back and, and ingrains them in, in the team of what you're trying to do. So we certainly, you know, we'll, we'll pivot and, and, you know, if we, we have something planned, you know, and we, we lose unexpectedly or we go on a, a losing streak, we'll certainly, you know, constantly be, be flexible on, you know, making sure that we're hitting the right tone as we go out, but also, you know, knowing that, that we have a certain amount of time that we're able to, to sell that next game or, or get the next thing out. So, you know, certainly right after a game or, or after, you know, news breaks, we'll, we'll constantly, you know, relook at, at what we're, what we need to do, shuffle our calendar and, and go through. But but the same thing happens on on the good on the positive side, right? Again, bring up the, the Damian Lillard trade. That that trade happens. Nobody on the, the business side has any, you know, kind of prior knowledge that, that that's happening or even a possibility. And, you know, I saw it on Twitter like the, the rest of the basketball world when when the trade announcement broke. And, you know, we had to quickly, you know, pull together, you know, all of our sales and marketing leaders. And, you know, within 30 minutes, we had a, a new pricing strategy. We had a new product strategy on what we were going to do from, you know, our partial plans to our, our season tickets. We, we had our retail team put together and, you know, how we were going to quickly get, you know, get to market with jerseys and, and all that sort of thing. So it works both ways, but, you know, it's certainly the, the thing that, that keeps you on your toes in this business of, you never know, you truly never know, you know, from one day to the next, what, what could happen. 
Right, exactly, exactly. I want to bring up what I lovingly refer to as the elephant in every marketer's room these days, which is AI. What is the team doing? What is it, how's the team thinking? And I'm really curious from a sports brand perspective, what is the thought process? Are you dipping your toe? Are you diving in the deep end? Are you not even going to the pool yet when it comes to AI? Yeah, it's a great question. And obviously, it's, it's a thing we're all kind of battling with and, and looking at. And I, I think, you know, it is, it is something that is here and going to be a part of our lives moving forward in, in one way or another. And I think, you know, there's multiple ways to think about it. There's the big, you know, as everybody talks about, you know, chat GPT and, and the generative art and, and that sort of thing, which is, you know, something we have avoided. And I think, you know, our, our great resources for, for certain things and going through, we are not, you know, at a point where we're saying, you know, we don't need our, our in-house creative team because we can just drop this stuff in. But I do think that there are there are great tools, you know, out there and, and AI is a part of a lot of, of what we're doing and a lot of the vendors we work with specifically on, you know, again, sort of the, the direct consumer stuff and, and our our email and, and database and and our text messages where you can start to, you know, pull in some of those AI tools that help you better understand what creative and what copy is gonna work better with with certain consumers. You know, there are certainly things that can make us more efficient, you know, where it can pick up as we're as we're building out campaigns, you know, it'll pick up what we're trying to do and be able to, to bring in, you know, previous recommendations or, or recommendations on segmentation. So that's where we're really looking to to utilize AI is where are those tools, where are the things, you know, I had a great conversation with, you know, somebody that I, I heard about on your show with a company called Stanley, uh, Stanley.ai, where, you know, it's it's you know really helping you hone in on the creative process and, and maybe get some of the production things out of the way without taking out the emotion and the creativity that's so so big to what we do. So it is there. It is definitely part of a lot of what we're doing. Uh, you know, there are great tools. Like we're, we're working through some things on, you know, music licensing has become a, a real big hot button issue on, you know, back, even background music and videos and, and that sort of thing in the, the sports world. And, you know, being able to utilize AI tools that are that can hear that, that music pull it out so that we're, you know, not violating copyright laws and, and that sort of thing and content that we put out. So I think that's for us where it's going to be hugely important is, is how we can become even more efficient with, with the teams that we have, how we can, you know, really clean up and, and, and dial in on things without, you know, some of that, that manual labor and, and manual production work that has to be done. How can we, you know, have our creative people being able to think creatively and, and not have to worry about you know those sorts of things. Yeah, and I know a lot of the brands that I'm talking to, CMOs, are talking about AI from a an automated perspective and and data acquisition and data modeling and things like that, and then how it all plays into the experience. Now, when it comes to a sports team, you obviously have the in stadium experience. But you also have the, the majority of folks who don't go to games, just by the law of numbers, who are home or at a sports bar, right, watching the games. So from a, from a CX perspective, not even, not even uh, AI perspective per se, but just from a, a customer fan experience perspective, what are some of the things the team does in terms of in-house compared to at home, the digital, things like that? Yeah, no, it's, you know, for us, I would say 99% of our fans are never going to be at a game or in the arena. You know, you look at our our social media audience and, and 75% of that is not even in the United States. You know, it is a truly global 
brand and, and especially when you have you know a guy like Giannis who who kind of captures the imagination of, of basketball fans across the world you know we have to be really cognizant of of how we use each of our channels and and can create you know sort of those personalized experiences and, and understand you know for us you know our our bucks app is kind of that remote control into your your bucks experience so whether that is you know it is literally how you get your tickets and get into the building but to your point, if if you were you know in a sports bar and in Philadelphia watching the the Sixers Bucks opener and you're a Bucks fan, you know we want that to be the place where you're going and you're finding you know different highlights or you're having opportunities to, to inter interact and see what's going on. So there's that you know piece that is us you know again the the in arena experience is our bread and butter and it is what you know people pay the pay money to come and and be a part of and and see. So you know there. Are, those opportunities to look at how we're using, you know, our digital channels and, and pushing, you know, what that experience looks like and, and trying to build that community around how people feel like they're a part of what's going on, you know, building that, that FOMO a little bit of, you know, we really wish we could be there, but also being cognizant of the fact that like that is not going to resonate with, with a big piece of what we do. So we, you know, that is where we have to, you know, where we'll continue to get, you know, deeper into, you know, how we're creating those customer journeys, how we're, how we're personalizing those more so that we know that, you know, a person watching the game or, or in the app and, and looking at maybe a jersey or, or that sort of thing, you know, how we're, how we're hitting them with, with messages that are, are much finer tuned to what they are, knowing that, you know, a ticket advertisement is not going to, not going to be something that is going to be useful for them right so i think that's a, a big piece of what it is and i think you know the fun thing for us and, and again being that that sort of global brand but that's based here in a, a small market in in the middle of the country is you know we have we have kind of a responsibility that we see as being sort of that that global you know sort of megaphone for the city of milwaukee and and you know when you travel around the world and we've you know played games in london we've played games in paris we've played games in, in abu dhabi like you you meet people who the only reason they even know milwaukee exists is because of of the bucks so you know for us we see that also is how do we how do we create you know sort of you know how do we become the cvb or an arm of the cvb for milwaukee and and tell about you know what this community is about what the city's about and you know generate interest that way as well because you know as you if we can pull people in and make them feel like they're a part of this this larger community again it gets back to what we talked about earlier on you know that starts to level out and it becomes less about you know night to night team performance and more about like this is my this is my community this is my team and and i'm a part of all of these other things that are going on it's it's interesting that I hadn't thought of it that way, that you're really, you know, you're, you're not only marketing the team, you're marketing the city, right? Do you have much interaction with, you know, officials from the city in terms of that role and that responsibility that the team has? We do. We, I mean, we work incredibly closely with, you know, all the elected officials. We work extremely closely with, with the CVB, with Visit Milwaukee to, you know, look at what we're trying to do. They they certainly see the impact of, you know, when we were in the finals in, in 2021 and you see the the shots of 60,000 people out in Deer District and, and what that means and, and sort of the story that tells about the city as a whole. Like, I think they've, you know, we, we have to collaborate and we have to be telling sort of the same stories about what's happening in, in the city, the, the good and the bad. And, you know, we, we also, you know, feel like we have a large role to play in, in being a part of the, 
the challenges and the conversations about things that happen in the city that, that are maybe not as good and, and using our platform locally to be able to help you know, drive some of that change as well. You told me something ahead of the call that I never knew, that you were the first marketer hired by the team yeah. in, I think it was the 45th season, you first said? Active. Yeah. The first ever marketer. First ever, yes. I'm fascinated. I know my listeners would, <laughs> would be fascinated to hear why, how do you even go about becoming or not why they didn't hire someone that's different, but do you remember what it was like to be the very first marketer? I do. It was, you know, it was one of those, those interesting things where I would say, I mean, my first season with the team, I think I probably spent as much time on, on sort of the internal communications and the internal sort of sales of just what it was that I was doing there and how I could be, be helpful to, you know, whether it was ticket sales or corporate partnerships or, or anybody where we could, you know, be helpful and, and how, you know, really focusing and coalescing around developing a, a brand and, and what we wanted to be in the community could impact all of their jobs and what they were trying to do. I mean, it's not to say that there wasn't, you know, marketing being done by the team. And certainly, you know, I mean, there was, it was just, kind of spread out and, and spread amongst a bunch of different areas. And, and, you know, each group was kind of responsible for marketing themselves. And so, you know, our, our owner at the time who was, you know, had an amazing role in making sure that the team stayed in Milwaukee multiple times and, and that sort of thing. His, his mantra was essentially that we were the NBA team in Milwaukee. So if people wanted to see NBA basketball, that's where you had to go. And so, you know, we were from a brand standpoint when I got here, you know, we did a lot of, I came in and I did a lot of kind of market research and trying to, you know, not only for myself, educate myself on what Milwaukee was and, and where we could kind of make some inroads, but just understand really where, where we were at from a brand perspective. And, you know, our brand affinity was below minor league hockey and, and college basketball and, and those sorts of things in the market, because there just wasn't that focus on telling the story about who we were. There was, you know, we were not ingrained we're doing a lot of great community work, but we were not ingrained in, in the conversations of the, the community. So, you know, we spent a lot of time in, in those first couple of years, you know, just really being out and being a part of every single thing that could happen in the city and, and Milwaukee, you know, obviously our, our weather's not great from, from Labor Day to Memorial Day, but you, know, you get to Memorial Day and you get that summer and, and, you know, it becomes, the city kind of comes to life and there's festivals and there, there's everything going on. So, you know, we kind of made it a role for those first couple of years. Like, how do we just get out here? We're not asking people to buy anything. We're not trying to, to, you know, convince people of anything, but it's just like, how do we, how are we just in the consciousness of, of the, the city to start with? And then that, you know, kind of set the groundwork for us to be prepared as we went through a, a rebrand and, and you get, start to get stars and start to have success on the court. You know, it comes along a lot easier if you've, if you've laid that kind of groundwork and that foundation and, and started to, to develop a conversation with the people you want to become fans. So I want to talk about, I know something you told me is taking up a lot of your time, which is the future of broadcast consumption, right? Basketball and the changing landscape. And I want you to come at this, not from the NBA and the Bucks perspective, but what you see this meeting for just brands, advertisers as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? We've gotten from this, this place where, everything was sort of unified and now getting to a place where you have access to anything you could possibly ever want to watch, but being able to, to switch between and, 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 you know, find things and discovery, I think is, is where people have, you know, kind of 
starting to find these challenges in, in what they do. And, and, you know, it's not as easy to just flip a channel and go somewhere else. So in, in some respects, I think, you know, for advertisers and for marketers, if, if you can get in the right spot and you really know who your audience is and, and you can find the right ways to target them, in some ways, I, I feel like people are seeing more, more advertising and more of that because it's, it's just not as easy to just flip when the commercial changes and, and goes through. The problem is, is, is finding those sort of big cultural moments and those, those opportunities where you have enough, you know, sort of eyeballs and you, you know specifically who you're going after that it, it becomes really challenging. And I think, you know, outside of my role in, in sports, it, it's interesting to see that, that sports has kind of become a little bit that the one place where there's some still, still some level of monoculture around this and where, you know, advertisers and, and, you know, broadcasters still see value in it because it's the one thing that is still sort of that appointment television. And, you know, I think that's become really interesting to see. And I think it's going to be fascinating is, you know, on the sports world, but I think other things is, you know, I know the the trend in, in sports and what you're starting to see with, you know, RSN starting to go away and, and things like that is, is a move back to, you know, over the air. And, you know, going back from, you know, kind of this this targeted niche thing to, you know, how can we actually just go out and find the one consistent thing, which is, you know, everybody, whether they're they're subscribing to, you know, a streaming live TV service or still have cable or anything else, that, you know, those access points where everybody has access and, and over the air has become, you know, kind of in vogue a little bit with that, which is, was interesting and not something I necessarily saw before really digging digging into this this project yeah it's it's a very interesting i don't want to say seminal moment but maybe it is without hyperbole of where the streaming meets cable meets ctv right the next i think three to five years if not less can be very interesting yeah it'll, it'll be very interesting to, to see and again you know it was everyone and I, I think rightfully so from a consumer standpoint you know didn't like the the bundle and and paying for things that that you didn't want or you weren't using but i think people are starting to to realize that there was you know what you're paying for was actually the efficiency and and the ability to, to have everything kind of in one place so you know i think we'll see some consolidation on on some of this i think we'll it'll be interesting to see where you know the streaming services go like you said in the next three to five years i, I don't think there's a, a great prediction on on what this landscape's going to look like other than that it's going to look drastically different uh, than it, it does today yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. Drastically different, but we don't know how or why. Yeah. Yeah. So I know something very, knowing you as I do, the Bucks Foundation is very important to you. And I want to make sure we talk about that building community through the pillars of justice reform, health and wellness and education. Tell us about that, what's involved, what it means, how it benefits the community, everything you want to tell me, tell us about the Bucks Foundation. Yeah. No, the Buck Sunday, I mean, it's, it's huge for us. And it was one of the, the key parts as we sort of rebuilt our brand and, and rebuilt our foothold in, in the community is, again, we, we had always been very philanthropic as an organization. I think what we wanted to do was, was really try to refocus on, on a lot of the issues that, that we saw as being important and, and valuable in, in this city. And, you know, the city does have its, like, like any city has its challenges and, and its, its areas of opportunity and, and, you know, we also as a sports team have have players who are out there and, and active in, in doing these things and, and you know we wanted to make sure that, that we were really involving ourselves in things that that were going to be important to the, the players as well. Obviously we made 
big headlines, you know, during COVID and in the bubble, you know, during the playoffs where, you know, our team actually started a, a kind of league-wide boycott of, of games uh, around the issue of, of um, social justice and, and, and uh, racial equity and, and that sort of thing. And so I think, you know, for us, it's important to, you know, not only, not only be able to, to make statements and put things out when you, when things happen, right? Like that's the, the easy kind of reactive thing to do. It's, it's for us, it's how do we actually get involved? And it's not even taking one side or the other in, in most cases. How do we get involved, you know, not only with, on, on the case of justice reform, you know, visiting prisons and, and talking about, you know, recidivism and, and how we, you know, help to, to get training and, and that sort of thing for people as, as they re-enter the workforce. But how do we, you know, we've been public about, you know, involving law enforcement and, and that sort of thing with these conversations as well. And how do we all work together and address things? For us, you know, as as a foundation, we don't want it to be something where it's just we bring money in, we we collect money, and then we're we're putting out checks to to anybody who asks. We we want to be able to have measurable impact on on the communities that we serve and, and go through, and that's where we we built those pillars around you know health and wellness, education, justice reform, which can have a lot of you know outreach into almost anything you you can think of. You know, we're we're partnering with our freighter, which is our local uh, health provider on you know how we get you know access to healthcare within underserved neighborhoods you know education can get into voting and, and we do a lot of platforms as the nba has as a whole but around elections and voting and again not telling people who to vote for or you know which side to be on but really trying to provide information and, and education to people about what they're voting for and, and why it's important that they do it so you know, I think for us to, again, be that, that sort of mouthpiece for the city and for the community, we can't just play this role of where the, the entertainers and, and the people and the, you know, where you go to kind of separate yourselves from the, the real world. We have to be active participants in, in the community as well and, and do what we can to use our platform to, to improve things for, for everybody in the city. Yeah. And consumers, or in your case, fans, they will notice, right? Rather, you're just, like you say, you're just writing a check from the ivory tower or you're literally on the ground getting involved. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you, the, the BS detector is, is out, I yep. think, more than ever on, on this sort of thing. And I think you know, people want to see you doing, doing the work and, and standing next to them and, and being a part of, of what you're doing and not just being a, a mouthpiece for, for what you think is right. Exactly. Hey, looking back on your career, is there one person you think has had the biggest impact and why? You know, I think it's a it's a mix of people, but I will say, you know, I my my first boss sort of in Philadelphia as I I went through as you know as I came up as as a young marketer and going through, you know, Bob Schwartz was is his name. He was the guy who I think sort of first saw saw some potential in me as I was a you know marketing coordinator in in Des Moines, Iowa, and came out for a visit and left town and said, hey, why don't you come join us out in in Philly and, and, you know, be a part of what we're doing. And, you know, him, you know, I think I, I learned a lot from him, not about, you know, marketing and, and specifically from that standpoint, but really just about how you, how you listen. I think as marketers, we're all very attuned to, you know, how are we tailoring our message to specific market? I think markets and, and consumers and, and that sort of thing, I think is as humans and as leaders, we're not always as rigorous in like how we, how we're tailoring our message to, you know, our coworkers or the people we're leading or, you know, how you really, you know, on a personal one-to-one -one level, you know, really think about who your audience is and, you know, how, 
how I'm going to have my relationship with, with our CFO and, and maybe explain to him what we're trying to do is a, a different conversation than the conversation I'm going to have with our team president, who is, you know, this big, innovative, like, do everything, ask questions later sort of sort of person, right? So I think, you know, to me, that's, that's been the biggest influence on me is just like how you, how you learn to communicate on an individual basis in a, a role where we're so used to just thinking it comes naturally because that's what we right. do every day. Yeah, that's a great, great lesson. Great point. So you've listened to my show and you know how I end every one of these about asking about music. And I'm a big music fan, I'm very eclectic, and I have a lot of different tastes. And, and I'm all, I just, music's just a big part of my life. And I always want to know from each guest, is there a song lyric? Is there a song title? Is there a musical group? Is there an artist, a, a concert, whatever? that you hear comes on the radio or on your playlist that has meaning above others? There's a ton. And, and obviously, you know, the music side, we didn't get into to all that. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. overseeing Pfizer Forum and, and the number of concerts and, and all of that that yep. I get to be a part of. It's, you know, that's a, a great part of the, the role. And I think, you know, music's played a, a huge role in my life as a, you know, performer growing up and, and that sort of thing that, that it definitely plays a role. And I think, you know, one of the one of the lines, and it, it has you know on its surface absolutely nothing to do with with what I do on a, a daily basis or, or what we do. But Counting Crows was a, a band, you know, as a you know in high school at that time, and and my wife and I had still kind of our it was our first sort of shared shared band and shared musical moment. But there's a, a line in the the song "Goodnight Elizabeth" that is you know we couldn't all be cowboys, some of us are clowns. And I think to me, you know, personally, that has always been, you know, something that's resonated with me of like not going to be the, the person that's out there, the, the person everybody's coming to see and go through. But, you know, we can be the, the people that, you know, go to a rodeo. The clowns are the ones that keep the whole the whole show together and, and they're out there and whether it's the entertaining or, or just keeping things through. And I think, you know, in some ways that's kind of the role of marketing, right? Like it's it's not the product. It's not the, the thing that everybody's coming to see, but it is it is sort of that that steady piece and that that knows how to like hit the emotion and, and pull people along. So kind of a, kind of an odd one, but, but mm. I think that's one that resonates with me, you know, ongoing in, in numerous places in my life. Well, it's not odd because it's your answer. So there's no wrong <laughs> answer, but uh, I do like that though, the clowns and cowboys and, and I'm, I may have to use that because I very much consider myself a clown. So, <laughs> but listen, we're wrapping up. I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, it has been such a joy and a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you in person. I know the Bucks are coming in later this season to Philly, and we will definitely break some bread. So thank you again, Dustin, for joining the show. No, I appreciate it, Steve. Thanks so much. Well, that wraps up another episode of the CMO Whisperer Show. I hope you shared this episode with your friends. And if you have not already, please subscribe to be kept up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you. 